Once again, with uh, these passages from Jeremiah, I haven't uh, read the entire story that we're going to look at this morning because uh, it's pretty long. Um, but we do need to hear the full story to try to understand what God is up to. So many of these Hebrew First Testament uh, stories of the prophets are utterly reliant on the context, especially the big picture context for understanding. The biblical prophets most of the time had messages from God that applied to a whole nation, a whole group, nation of people. Uh, the messages were often delivered directly to the kings and the priests but they were meant to impact the direction of all of God's people. So the historical details are vital for us to know. Who was the king? Uh, Who were the regional powers? What was Israel's relationship to those powers or those cultures around them? In this morning's story, King Zedekiah is the ruler of the remaining part of the original kingdom of Israel. Uh, it had split and split to two. The northern part, which had been called Israel, actually 200 years earlier was was uh, invaded and dissolved. Um, but there's a southern kingdom of God's people called Judah, and King Zedekiah is the ruler of Judah. Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, I always think of the Peanuts Christmas special when I hear that Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, He was the king over uh, Babylon, which was the regional power to the east of Israel. And uh, interestingly, King Zedekiah of Judah was actually put in place as the king by Babylon, trying to be sort of a, a puppet king for Babylon. Well, King Zedekiah kind of liked being king, and he rebelled against Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. At the moment that our story picks up, Babylon has responded to uh, that rebellion by setting up a siege around the capital city, Jerusalem. King Zedekiah, therefore, would like God's help in taking care of Babylon. King Zedekiah sends a a representative to Jeremiah and asks Jeremiah, please pray to the Lord our God for us. And shortly thereafter, we read in verse 5, Pharaoh's army had marched out of Egypt And when the Babylonians who were besieging Jerusalem heard the report about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. So if you're King Zedekiah, you're thinking, hey, that's a great sign. It worked. You know, Jeremiah's prayer worked. God has shown us favor. I'm set as king. But that is not what Jeremiah heard from God. Rather, we heard, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of me, 
Pharaoh's army has marched out to support you, but they will go back to their own land, to Egypt. And then the Babylonians will return and attack this city. They will capture it and burn it down. In fact, it goes on. (laughs) This is what the Lord says. Do not deceive yourselves, thinking the Babylonians will surely leave us. They will not come back. They will. Even if you are to defeat the entire Babylonian army that is attacking you and only wounded men are left in their tents, they would come out and burn the city down. Even if, if they just have people who are already wounded and, and dying, they're still going to wipe you up. That's how certain Jeremiah is and this word from God is. So let's ponder for a moment the answer to a question. You don't have to answer out loud. But here's the question. If you were in Jeremiah's place, would you have sent that message to the king? Let's try to be honest here. This is the king of the nation in which you live. And the king has asked you, please pray for us. That's all he's asked. That he hasn't asked for anything more. You're under no obligation to say anything. All, you, all, the, all the king knows is that he sent this word and then something good happened. So you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. In that situation, would you go out of your way to tell the king? No. In fact, actually, the one other thing I was going to add before that is um, there are all these other prophets we find out. There are all the other prophets are saying, yes, this is a sign from God. This is a a sign of God's favor for you. So considering all that, you're under no obligation to speak. Uh, As far as the king knows, you've done what he, he asked you to do. Everybody else is saying, yes, this is a wonderful sign. Would you have sent that message that says, no, this isn't a good sign. Babylon's going to come back. You're going to be wiped out. Even if they're stumbling on their crutches, they're going to wipe you out. We know that Jeremiah did not keep this to himself. He did speak up, and it did not go well for him. (laughs) Before Jeremiah spoke up, we heard in verse 4, Now Jeremiah was free to come and go among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. Foreshadowing. After Jeremiah sends this message that he was under no obligation to do, we hear the result. After the Bab- verse 11, After the Babylonian army had withdrawn from Jerusalem because of Pharaoh's army, Uh, Jeremiah started to leave the city to go to the territory of Benjamin to get his share of the property among the people. So this is in the lull, but he's already sent word that that, uh, Babylon's coming back. And when he reached the Benjamin Gate, which is in the north part of Jerusalem, the captain of the guard, whose name is Yerijah, son of Shalemiah, Yerjah arrested him and said, you are deserting to the Babylonians. They know about Jeremiah. They know that he said Babylon's going to come back. They figure, 
Ah, he's, he's working for Babylon. Jeremiah says, verse 14, that's not true. I'm not deserting to the Babylonians. But Irijah would not listen to him. Instead, he arrested Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. They were angry with Jeremiah. Hmm, I wonder why. And had him beaten and imprisoned in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, which they had made into a prison. Jeremiah was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained a long time. At some point while Jeremiah is in prison, the Egyptian force went home, Babylon came back, they set up a siege of the city again, just as Jeremiah had said they would. In verse 17a, the story continues. Uh, King Zedekiah, after Babylon sets up again, sent for Jeremiah and had him brought to the palace where he asked him, notice, asked him privately, is there any word from the Lord? He's hoping that, okay, well, you said this was going to happen, but maybe there's an out. Maybe there's some catch. Is, do you have anything else from God? Now, again, think about this. Jeremiah is faced with a choice whether or not to speak the truth. He doesn't have to. If he, if he just tells Zedekiah, oh, yeah, don't worry, it's not going to be a problem, he'd at least get out of prison. But again, Jeremiah doesn't keep quiet. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard from God. This is the second part of 17. Uh, yes, there, there is where Jeremiah replied, you will be handed over to the king of Babylon. <laughs> then Jeremiah pleads his own case, even though he's just said what he said. Uh, he says to the king Zedekiah, what, what crime have I committed against you or your officials or the people? that you have put me in prison. Where are your, your prophets who prophesied to you that the king of Babylon will not attack you or this land? Why aren't they in prison? But now, my lord the king, please listen. Let me bring my petition before you. Do not send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary or I will die there. King Zedekiah then gave orders for Jeremiah to be placed in the courtyard of the guard and given bread from the street of the bakers each day until all the bread in the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the courtyard uh, so he didn't have to go back to that prison. That little bit in there about how he was given bread every day until there was no more bread left is an allusion to the fact that this, turn, this siege turned out to be horrible. There was a, a a horrible famine and people were dying within the city of starvation before the the city fell but it did fall to babylon just as jeremiah said it would so every time that jeremiah was presented with the opportunity to speak the truth to power even when he knew that truth was something the powerful didn't want to hear, even when almost everyone else was saying what the powerful wanted to hear. Jeremiah spoke the truth to power even though he was beaten by the enforcement arm of the government and was thrown into prison for speaking the truth. 
But here's the question I really want us to ponder. At the time that he did this, what good did it do? At the time he spoke truth to power, what good did it do? The king did did anyone's mind get changed? Did Jeremiah's speaking truth to power change anyone's mind? The king didn't do anything differently than he was already going to do. None of the other prophets changed their minds, what they were saying. It didn't stir up a grassroots rebellion of the people. Did it change the course of events in any way? No. All the horrible things he said would happen, happened. And there's not a single result in this story that would have turned out differently if he had just shut up or if he had lied. It all turned out the same. He didn't change a single person's mind. He didn't change a single course of action at the time. So what's the point? Honestly, why did he say anything? It didn't change anything. I believe that when it comes to speaking the truth, especially to the powerful, we have to take a long view. It wasn't until after centuries of stories of kings and religious leaders of God's people not listening to God or following God's way and then seeing the horrible results from not listening, that God's people finally began to understand that they could not rely on the kings or their religious leaders for salvation. They began finally, after centuries of of the prophets speaking out and nobody doing anything, they began to look for a different kind of leadership from God. This is when the whole search for a Messiah comes and we eventually lead to our understanding of who Jesus is this story in Jeremiah didn't change anyone's mind or anyone's actions at the time but over time Jeremiah's voice and the voice of other prophets changed the way that God's people viewed their relationship with God. It helped convince people that we must value God's word and God's ways over even those who are in power, if those ways conflict. A recent example of this speaking truth to power, even though it doesn't do anything, I think, is the example of public opinion on equal rights for LGBTQ persons. It has taken decades, over a half century, really, of people speaking up, speaking the truth to those in power for any change to come. Many of those in the early days of truth-telling never saw anything change. But they spoke the truth 
because it was the truth and people needed to hear it. And slowly, over a long time, people did begin to listen. People began to hear and things did begin to change. Now, obviously, equal rights for all has not yet been fulfilled for a number of of people in our nation. And it needs to be spoken still. But think of how unimaginable it would have been for many of those who spoke up early for the rights of LGBTQ. Yes. I didn't have that one written down there, so I didn't have my prompt. Think of how unimaginable it would have been to think of being able to legally marry the one you loved. Or to hold that ceremony in a church. To have it witnessed with an ordained pastor presiding over God's blessing on your relationship. When we are trying to decide whether to speak, what to say, whose words to support, we need to take the long view from God's perspective. Upholding truth is more important than holding on to power. Upholding truth is more important than holding on to power. We live in odd days. (laughs) There are vicious arguments over even what is true or whether we should talk about certain topics at the table or online or in a sermon. Many times, many times the argument against speaking up centers on the question of what good does it do? And think about how often that comes up. What good does it do? Does it change anyone's mind? Does it change anything? The argument against speaking up is what good does it do? And I think it's legitimate to say that the truthful answer is no, often. (laughs) No, it doesn't change anybody's mind. It doesn't change anything. In fact, I would say it's legitimate to add that it can even alienate people. But if we earnestly believe, earnestly believe that something is true and right from everything that we know about God in Jesus Christ, then we have to take a longer view. When we are trying to decide whether to speak, what to say, or whose words to support, as we learn from Jeremiah, upholding the truth is more important than holding on to power. And over time, there is hope for change. Thanks be to God.